when people ask me about meditation, mindfulness, and whatever, the the one big thing I say is try to see it as something you get to do mm-hmm. rather than you have to do. Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello folks, welcome back to yet another episode of the podcast. I'm into episode 8 of season 2 and it's flying along. Delighted that you're checking in and hopefully you'll enjoy this episode as much as I had putting it together and actually listening back to it uh, a few days ago was really interesting so lots of good stuff in it looking back over the last week the episode with ted dynan last friday very encouraging numbers over the last week that's checked this out from lots of different places with ted being a, a leader in the field of psychobiotics this has got a big reach and with the book out the psychobiotic revolution a lot of people wanted to hear the story not only just about ted and the work he's doing in that but his own backstory which is fascinating so if you haven't checked it out yet do episode seven very much worth the listen and all about enhancing your mood with positive bacteria another thing in the last week i guess as i mentioned probably on the previous episodes the listenership has gone up a lot over the last five or six shows which is really great one thing that stuck with me last season when i interviewed andrew mangan for the podcast was his own insight as a professional podcaster how things evolved over time and grew slowly he said after nine years he became an overnight success in the whole podcasting business and it seems as if the numbers are growing not to that anywhere his levels but they're certainly going up and up and that's really encouraging it again just means that more of you are checking it out maybe telling a friend sharing it on one of the socials it's managing to get a broader reach obviously as i interview guests from different walks of life that in itself has a listenership or a following that would be broader so it's all all positive and i hope that continues i really really do in the last week alone i talked to a few people that are interested in setting up their own podcasts i know one of the things i offer is a few hours a month coaching pro bono or just advice and more than happy to talk to a few people that are interested in doing something similar it's really really encouraging to hear the feedback from them that they're enjoying what this is all about and if it's in any way giving them some sort of inspiration or ideas to move forward with their own projects that is awesome so again the offer is always there if anyone wants to chat about anything in relation to podcasting or coaching in general I do try to do a few hours a month on that for pro bono. So happy to do so. On the content that I'm putting out, as you might be aware, over the last few weeks, I started to release a One Minute Monday video that's on the site under videos, three of them so far. Definitely growing in numbers viewing it and lots of good feedback, interesting ideas coming back. I'm open to other folks actually doing One Minute Mondays if they had a topic, a tip that they'd like to share. Give it a shot, put it out there. It'd be really cool to see it take off and others potentially doing it. But I'm conscious that the the content has to be right for me. But as long as it's interesting, it's meaningful, it's actionable, I'm good with putting it out there. And I hope that is what you're seeing. So the One Minute Mondays will continue over the next while. I have a good few in the pipeline that I want to share. Within every episode, I get a new one or two tips that I like to share. So keep that going. Also, I put out the blog last week that I've been 
teasing for a while the 100 days without alcohol so far in 2018 dry 18 that's on the site as well a lot of people actually just instead of listening to podcasts they read blogs and i find the audience or the feedback i got from the people that read the blog typically don't listen to the podcast which is cool it just means you have to go down different medias for sharing content but it's interesting to see how that works and a lot of people connected resonated with the story and the last piece is the podcast that i talk a little bit about over the last few weeks called the 864 i am recording episodes for that it's 15 minutes long each episode trying to figure out when i'm going to roll that out obviously with all the other stuff going on it's difficult to keep on top of everything and i really want to focus on the core content which is the one percent better podcast which is the one minute mondays which is a bit of blogging but this one will come and plan a launch where i'll probably put out a bunch over the course of a week and see how that goes down one of the other things i'm going to play a little bit with is the patreon page where i'm putting content behind that subscription-based service if folks want to get access to that it's a sign up and a subscription fee on a monthly basis what i'm thinking of doing and what i did for this week is put the episode of the interview up there a week prior to full release if you so wish you would be able to hear it in its raw enough format in advance of the friday release but that's just one idea and playing with there so this week's episode is with jim breen so i connected with jim last year and we were hoping to do the podcast in season one but just never were able to make it happen and then we reconnected at the start of season two he actually liked a article i put out on twitter around the hand dryers and the meditation we reconnected and then said let's get this done we met in galway uh, the day after st patrick's day to talk all through his story his journey so jim is the founder and executive chairman of a tech company called pulse learning he's also uh, the executive chairman of a new venture called be cloud smart he came to the public's attention in 2012 when he appeared on the tv show secret millionaire it was his first i suppose appearance in the public limelight and while he was working on the show which was helping with a community in dublin around suicide he started to uncover or peel back some of his own mental health issues around depression from there he started to work on that in a very much open fashion talks about it publicly on some tv shows around that time and has continued to work on that over the last number of years he also set up cycle against suicide a charity bike ride to raise awareness and funds uh, in the areas of suicide and mental health such an interesting guy we spent well over an hour talking listening from my perspective to his story and looking back in time looking at what he's done in the last just the six years and how the whole conversation around mental health has improved and progressed in ireland he's also now doing work in australia in this area really this is focusing more on mental health in the workplace which jim calls like the last bastion of stigma in the area of mental health we go into details on that genuinely it's one of the most i don't know is intense the right word but engaging conversations and interviews i've done in all the podcasts i've done listening to it back it's probably the one i've tweaked the least or edited the least because it just flowed and he is a very well-spoken successful man that has a lot to share wants to do good and we talk about a lot of things the details are in the show notes and yeah i really really hope you enjoy this one if you do please take a minute at the end to share it out like it tell a friend it's again mental health is so so important that we talk about it 
And I think if I've learned anything over the last number of episodes, especially the one with Josh Quigley, the reaction to that was huge because of the topic and because people could connect and resonate with the stuff Josh was going through. As you'll hear, Jim has been going through similar stuff over the years and he's developed tools and techniques to try and battle against it, which he shares. And I think that can only be a good thing. So look, just a last call out. Please do subscribe to the show on iTunes or any of the other portals you listen to podcasts on. That's always good. So you get the new releases when they come out. Enjoy the podcast with Jim Breen. I am on location in Galway and I'm here with Jim Breen. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Thanks so much for doing this. You're very welcome. I know we tried to do it last year, and now that I'm into season two, uh, we're able to make it happen, which is which is great. So, Jim, you're the founder and executive chairman of Pulse Learning, and I see you have a new venture, executive chairman of Be Cloud Smart. Yeah, Be Cloud Smart is a brand new venture. Um, really exciting, actually. It's all around um, cloud technology and disrupting an already disrupted marketplace Mm -hmm. and yeah very excited about it very Very, excited very cool so we maybe get into more of that as well Jim would it be fair to say that you came to probably the mainstream Irish public attention with your appearance on Ireland's Secret Millionaire yeah that was in uh in 2012 um I guess prior to that I would have been um uh, kind of kept very sort of a, a private profile Right. And um, the uh, the request to take part in Secret Millionaire wasn't something that I was uh, looking for. Or, and when it was initially put to me, um, it was something I initially said no to. I, mm. I'd been asked a couple of times to do a few similar type things, and um, it just didn't didn't seem right. And when I was approached initially, the um, the, the crew from from RT and from their uh, independent production company were um, were keen and in, in fact they they spoke to me I was I was in France and um, I said no and they said can we meet and mm. I said sure I'm going to be in Kerry in three days time so if you want to come to Kerry uh, for sure we'll meet and generally um, you know when people from Dublin have the opportunity of going all the way to Kerry are, are saying no or t- accepting a no they accept the no <laughs> but they came and um, by the time they came I'd actually already decided to do it because I'd seen John Concannon coincidentally another Galway man right. do the programme the year before and I thought the format was really powerful and I also thought that in terms of just coincidentally where I was in my life at that time that the the time maybe to explore mental health Mm. And I wasn't ready to go to a therapist. I wasn't ready to admit to myself that there was something wrong enough that I would go for help myself. But I thought that this was kind of an unusual way of exploring the theme. And I know that sounds a bit mad, crazy, but it was it was really very much around that. It was kind of a way of getting a, a sneak peek into the whole world of mental health without necessarily, you know, exposing myself. Um, and of course... That idea and that plan fell to fell to shreds when I got involved with the um, the four sets of people that we met with on the Secret Millionaire right. program. And really, again, fast forward to today, it's incredible how much of a bond we still have. You know, the Norris family and 
Nikki Clear and Shauna from from Headway and the, the folks from the Den and, and of course Suicide Awareness Club and Fifteen, the four sets of people that, that mm. we met with. So it was on the program I spoke about my own battle with mental health, and um, I'm not sure if I used a label, Rob. I'm not sure if I kind of said I battle with depression or I battle with anxiety because, again, I don't know if labels are all that useful. Yeah. I think we we seek them and we like we like to put labels on things. On the basis that, you know, well, if it's a, a diagnosis somehow that's getting closer to solving the issue. Mm. Um, but also, I'm not even sure if I if I knew enough about myself then to be able to say what I thought the problem was. But I did say I battled with my mental health. And I think I was also planting a seed that I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to do something about this idea that it's not okay not to feel okay and it's not okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And um, the response to that program was incredible. Like literally thousands and thousands and thousands of phone calls, texts, letters, emails, and everybody saying, how can we help? You know, that was the that was the response. And I loved that because the response in a way was maybe easy for people to make because they didn't have to ask too much prying about how I was it was more how can we help right and um that then was the was the the catalyst for cycle against suicide which we founded almost immediately and had our first cycle in April of 2013 so like you know from September to April to you know organizing all that I still don't know and and you mentioned just this morning when we met that it was Seamus Nolan Mm. Um, who at the time was an inspector in the guards in Limerick and now is a superintendent based in um, Templemore. Yeah. And it was Seamus was one of the very, very, very first people I met on that journey. Right. And Seamus got the guards and later the PSNI to come in behind us and support what we were trying to do. Right. Uh, but it was all magic. I mean, it would be impossible to, to kind of redo it, you know, because how it happened so in terms of coming into the public sort of um perception yeah yeah it came from it came from secret millionaire okay when you look back i guess the question that i had and maybe it's been asked to you a few times though because you were a highly successful businessman and you know i saw another couple of videos online of pulse learning and how well it had done and maybe we can touch on you know where the origins of that but being successful making money was there that perception that person shouldn't have any mental health issues they should be happy they have everything from the outside did it almost make it more difficult to almost come to terms that actually i do have that yeah i think there's um i gotta remember like it was it was 2012 and like 2018 we've come so far like we've we really as a as an island of ireland we've we've traveled such an amazing journey just Mm. in those six years and that's not to say that there aren't serious issues with mental health, with suicide yeah. on our island. But in terms of, you know, being able to normalize a conversation around mental health and emotional well-being, we've just we've just done so well. You know, I'm so proud of us, um, you know, that and and asking for help is a predictor of saving lives. You know, the more people who ask for help, you know, the more we'll be able to fight the fight against suicide on our island. Um, you know, it is true that 
more than half of the people who die by suicide have never, you know, reached out formally for support, whether it be from a helpline or a GP or whatever else. And that's that's an amazing statistic. It's it's unbelievable, you mm. might think, you know, that half of people who die by suicide haven't actually been able to reach out for help. And that's that's our battle. You know, our battle is to support those 50% who haven't yet been able to ask and those who can ask, those who've had the courage to ask, that we make sure that other people will, will respond as best as we can. So I think in terms of 2018, the challenge is very different. And I'm just back from Australia where I'm, uh, we kicked off a program out there called I Am Here in uh, conjunction with Woolworths. Right. And it's a program for mental well-being, um, mental health in the workplace, which is kind of the last bastion of stigma that right. remains, you know. Anybody listening to this podcast today who, you know, it's one thing to mention to your family or your friends that you're battling with anxiety or depression or you're having self-harming thoughts or you are self-harming or you're having suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts. It's mm -hmm. one thing to mention it to your friends, your family, your public. It's a different thing entirely to go to your boss yeah. and say, you know, I'm not feeling well. And the reason is because of my mental health. And that's something that we we really need to address, not just here in Ireland, but across the globe. And the project that we launched in Australia, the I Am Here mm -hmm. um, project, which I'm really proud of. And we're, we're going to, we kind of, when I say launch, we sort of kicked it off and we began the work on the videos, etc. when I was there. Right. And I'm flying back again on Friday of next week. Um, and we're going to do more work on that project. And that's that's a project around um, if, if you're in the workplace, Rob, mm -hmm. and somebody comes to you and they say, I'm not feeling well, it's, it's helping you as the person they're coming to know what to do. Right. And it, it's actually very simple and it's very easy once you know how it's it's show you care, it's ask the question and it's call for help. And those nine words, show you care, ask the question, call for help, are evidence-based, really powerful words of advice for anybody who's trying to help other people. Mm -hmm. And we've got some beautiful like one of the one of the first videos we shot, this this great lady, amazing lady who um, she lost her sister. Her sister died by cancer. And um, she went back to work almost immediately. And a few months later, one of her customers came into her shop. Again, she's... So Woolworths, again, is one of the largest retail, you know, operations mm. in Australia. And she's she was a store manager. And one of her customers, one of her regular customers, came into the store and said, you know, um, uh, he, he said, look, I, I want to give you some feedback on your store. And she said, okay, um, sure, that that would be great. Let's come into my office and we can chat. And they sat down in, in her office and he said, look, I don't want to give you feedback on your store. I'm concerned about you. And she said, what? He said, yeah, you don't sing anymore. And she said, what do you mean I don't sing anymore? And she and he said, well, the last three months I've been coming to the store and you no longer sing and you no longer have the banter right. with your with your colleagues. Um are you okay? Mm. And she broke down. This, you know, kind of stranger, right? Somebody she only knew like yeah. as a customer in her store, but he had the, the wherewithal, the something. He had something to be able to reach out to her and ask the question, you know, so mm. show you care, ask the question. And then 
together they called for help and she got the help she needed and today she's this incredibly bubbly amazing person she's found her her old self back okay but it mightn't have been like that you know it mightn't have been like that had had that person not had the you know the ability to be able to reach out to her and this i am here campaign is giving people that ability you know encouraging mm. people that it's not all that hard to show you care it's not all that hard to ask the question you know rob are you okay are you are you okay today are you are you considering self-harm are you are you having thoughts of suicide are you are you depressed mm. and as irish people we think oh my god i could never ask such a direct question and in fact when when you know somebody is in trouble um asking those questions in that direct way or when you feel somebody's in trouble mm. asking those questions in that direct way is exactly the right thing to do and it just requires you know that you know that mm. and then where do we call for help and the, the you know the great news is is that today you know whether it be northern ireland or here in the republic there is a lot of help available not perfect by any means not perfect but there is help available and again my view always has been let's put the pressure on the system for the system to perform even better let's not complain about the system let's put the pressure on the system let's do whatever we can so anybody and i i as you can imagine uh, get a lot of of calls from people who are in trouble and you know my my view my belief is let's find that help in the system wherever it is and if we have to put pressure on the system to get that help let's do it because that's a better outcome than feeling paralyzed and feeling that, that, that we we can't get that help so show you care ask the question call for help um and i guess when when i first spoke about so that's kind of our challenge today when i first spoke about this in 2012 mm. it was a very different world because again the pres presumption was well if you're doing well in business you must be fine. You must be okay. You know, you can't mm. be somebody who'd be battling with a mental health issue. And I think because of the time it was and because of, of who people felt I was and because of this admission of vulnerability, which was done maybe in such a way that people saw it as a strength that you could ask for help and you could say, mm -hmm. I'm in trouble. Um, it, it, was a, it was possibly a turning point in terms of how we began to change a conversation and change a dialogue. And I don't mean that in terms of me being that person at that time. I think that was the right time to have those kinds of conversations. And I just happened to have that opportunity given to me by RT hmm. to, to be that person at, at that stage. Since then, you know, we've had hugely courageous people who have been able to talk about their challenges. And that has been something that's been very useful for young and old, male and female, um, to be able to, you know, share their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And again, one of the things about mental health is, you know, it's like depression and anxiety, self-harm, suicidal ideation. The one good thing you can say about all of them is that they're not sexist, they're not ageist, they're not racist. They don't have any, you know, demographic, but they'll attack everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you you might even say they'll 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 attack the strongest of us, and it's for that reason that you know all of us need to be, you know, open to that. And I, I've spent quite a bit of work with um, 
with people recently in Australia where they have a very strong view of you know the one in four and meaning that you know one in four of us will experience a mental health issue at some stage in our life mm. and I think it's not one in four it's four in four every one of us will experience a mental health issue either ourselves or someone close to us in our life mm -hmm. so therefore all of us need to have the basic training and the basic support available and, and if you today listening to this podcast do not have any challenges that's fantastic but maybe you will in the future or maybe one of your friends will in the future or today and in that scenario wouldn't it be great to know what to do and that's i think the next level of you know what we where we need to get to next and i think that the difference maybe in terms of our approach to this versus other people's approach is we don't need any funding for that we don't need any government you know support we don't need any minister saying uh, you know let's change legislation this is all this is all within us to do right now mm. and i guess maybe that's um that kind of comes back to my own sort of entrepreneurial mindset you know that there's an awful lot of things you can do without getting permission yeah and let's do those things okay you mentioned australia and that's where you've kind of set up the i am here program have you looked at other countries to see are some of them more advanced than than where we are and what are they doing that's better that we could adopt yeah i think that um interestingly like ireland and it, it's probably um it's probably a bit of a of a hindrance in a way. We actually know better or worse than than most other developed countries. Okay. And um, I don't I don't get frustrated by the silliness of politicians or the silliness of of people you know who are in positions who should know better. I don't, I don't get upset by it. However, it is something that I I do get frustrated. Um, I I do find it um, at times um, difficult when people will say, you know, well, we need to expect that there will always be, you know, certain percentage of people who take their life, or certain percentage of people who will battle with depression, or certain percentage of people who will self harm. Yeah. Um, there's no benefit in that thinking you know mm. the, the, if you look at it in a different way and you say every single person every individual just on their own um has a chance at the best possible life that they can have and and our job is not to look at this in a statistical way or an average way just every every single person has got an opportunity to be loved to be lovable you know to to feel that love and to feel that support and you know Ireland as a country is no better or worse. Um, but really, you know, Ireland doesn't battle with depression. It's individuals, it's people battle with depression. Mm. And, you know, my view always would be don't 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 get fooled about how we're doing statistically. You know, keep keep the focus on the individual. Um, that said, we are doing certain things in Ireland better than other other places in the world and cycling and suicide. Um, was one of or is one of those kind of um, initiatives where because of the nature of just the Irish psyche and how we how we you know are, are quite tightly bound to each other at a community level you know we can reach out and there's connection between schools and communities and the GAA and rugby and FAI and sports mm. and you know and again you know 
in, in rural Ireland, um, you know, not 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 from from here in Kilbacanty, County Galway, uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a, like a wonderful community spirit where, you know, it's a it's a small small rural part of Ireland where it is the the church and the GA grounds, the local pub, community hall, and within that, this is a very tightly bound community who unfortunately had their own visit from suicide a number of years ago. Nyla Dunhu, the Galway hurler, and um, you know how that community then felt that pain mm-hmm. and decided to really come around and try and do something as a community. And in those ways that Ireland is able to kind of come together as a community, whether it be like Kilbacondy, like a geographical community, or whether it be a community in terms of traveling community, LGBTI, etc., there there are opportunities for us in Ireland to um, fight this fight against mental health and against suicide on our island in a way that, you know, it's harder to do in a place like Australia where it's just so vast or in a mm. place like, you know, uh, the States where it's, you know, so dispersed and, you know, so many people. We're, we're six and a half million people on our island and we can get that message out. It's OK not to feel OK and it's absolutely OK to ask for help. And and we can do it in a way where literally you can, you know, you can cycle around our island mm. in a couple of weeks with hundreds of other people yeah. visiting schools, visiting community halls, visiting, you know, the locality and, and sharing that message in a very uplifting, positive way. So things like that were actually head of other places because, you know, we have had, you know, even even things like, you know, tidy towns and other initiatives like that mm-hmm. have have worked in Ireland in a way that they haven't worked in other places because we can get together, you know, and it's not just rural Ireland can do that. You know, there's a lot of amazing initiatives that take place in, you know, inner city Cork, inner city Dublin, inner city Limerick and other places where there might be, um, you know, disadvantaged areas, areas of, you know, where, um, you know, there's, there, there are challenges in terms of unemployment, etc. And, Again, in those communities, it's incredibly heartening to see the amazing work that goes on within those communities. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess we'd always look to the goodness of what's happening and be optimistic about it rather than, you know, feel pessimistic or um, feel bad about, you know, what, what we're not doing. I, I, I like to see what we're doing, try and shine a spotlight on it and see if we can do even more of that. Yeah. That's no, interesting. Just what you mentioned, shining the spotlight on it. I read a book a while back called uh, "It's uh, the Heat Brothers." It's around change, change management. I think it's called Switch, and uh, they talked about going to different countries and identifying. I think it was malnourishment in in Vietnam, and yeah. but there were certain parts where the kids were perfectly healthy. So they kind of shined the spotlight, figured out what they were doing right, and then try to replicate that out. Brilliant. And you can kind of uplift that and. Do the same with, I suppose, with suicide and what parts of the communities across Ireland are have very low rates of it, and what are they doing that might be different? Would would that be fair to say? Yeah, very much so. And in fact, I'm um, I'm an advisor to the Wheel, which is a representative charity for all other charities in Ireland, and the Wheel do incredible work. Um, their CEO Deirdre Garvey is an amazing lady. Like she's just, she's such a a real um. You know, she's she's a, a CEO in non-for-profit and charity Ireland who's an exemplar for how um, great, leaders, great leadership can happen and mm-hmm. does happen. And within the wheel, uh, I'm involved there 
in a program called Spark Change. And Spark Change is exactly what you've said there. Okay. It's, it's really around going out to the the people who are the change agents in Ireland, whether that be, you know, organizing a bridge club for, you know, the, the elderly in your neighborhood or, mm. um, you know, mentioned Tidy Towns earlier, mm. or it could be your own mental health or it could be sport for disadvantaged youth, whatever it might be. But yeah. there is amazing stuff going on in Ireland. And, you know, that that's actually not at all separate from mental health it's, mm-hmm. it's completely connected it's community know? it's tribe getting totally. everybody together yeah absolutely and there's great benefit from that and the idea of spark change again is let's shine the spotlight within communities of the great work that's been done in order that other communities will be inspired uh, to follow and that lessons can be learned from one area to another and the spark change initiative is something again that's about to be rolled out it's something that hopefully you know in 12 months time uh, a lot more people will have heard of where we haven't launched it yet. The, the plan is to launch it, um, you know, midway through 2018, um, you know, sort of a few months time. Um, and it's it's again this idea, exactly as you said, of of showing people, you know, what can be done, the art of the possible, if you like. Mm, cool. Very good. Just to step back a little bit. So it was when you started to talk about it or to realize that you were suffering or had mental health challenges, you were around 41, 42, I think. When you were 15, when you were 10, when you were 20, was there anything looking back that you said, that was probably a signal that I ignored or or how you even kind of locked it away? Was there any things that came up that you could potentially share that others might resonate with? Yeah, I think, um, so the, um, so in, in 2012, I was I was 42, and it actually took me um, a few years before I found myself a a therapist that was right for me. Right. Um. I I tried two therapists, and it was a disaster. Like it was so, so bad. Um. Was that just? Did you think that it was because it was the first and second person and it was new to you? Or do you think it just was a matter of right going through the process of finding the right one? I think the um, the reality is that it's complex and everybody's different. There are, there are few few truths I think I found. So one truth is um, just like there are good, you know, teachers and bad teachers or, you know, good um, lawyers and bad lawyers or there are good carpenters and bad carpenters there are good counsellors and therapists and there are bad counsellors and therapists people who you know just aren't as good as they they need to be mm-hmm. and that's a fact and that's a difficult truth for people to hear right but it's the truth you know just because you're joining you know a vocation like say teaching or therapy um doesn't guarantee you'll be a good teacher or a good therapist um, so that's one truth. The second truth is um, you might meet the best therapist in the world and you might not be ready for them. So that's that's also a truth. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you know, that's something, again, that complicates it. And then the other truth is, I believe strongly that in addition to the fact that sometimes there are good therapists and bad therapists, sometimes there are, you know, you're just not ready for it yeah. or the time is wrong. But the third thing is, that there's also a degree of, of fit, you know. Yeah. Like 
it's important to have alignment between you and your therapist. It's a very special relationship. It's like a chemistry almost. Absolutely. It? Yeah. It's very much it's exactly a chemistry is the, the, the perfect word. And um, my first two therapists, uh, the first one, um, it was a disaster. I mean, I can tell you, I, I, I was recommended this therapist. I went into his room. Uh, every color in the room was gunmetal gray. You know, there's no there was no bright colors. There was a there was a desk. There was a metal desk. Um, he faced me in a chair that I was looking out at a grey door. Uh, there was no eye contact. Uh, he said yes at the start of the hour, and poised his pen and took notes. Didn't say anything. And uh, other than about three minutes into the session, his phone rang. Right. And he said, do you mind if I take this? And I said, I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> I said, okay. And he, he picked up the phone, he put it down, you could hear the phone go beep, beep, beep. And it was, it was awful. Now, I I think that perhaps... It's like a sketch it's of how not to do a therapy, <laughs> yeah. No, I think th- the reality is if I, if I went back there today, I might find that it wasn't as grey as I thought it was. Right. And maybe there was some soft furnishings there <laughs> that I didn't spot. But that was a disaster. And then the second time I met a therapist, um, she was a very different person and we met in a, in a very different location. And, you know, she, I, I, I shared with her the very bad experience I had the first time because I went back to that first therapist a few times to try and see mm. if it could be, you know, if this was just like, because you don't know any better, right? Sure, sure. You know, maybe, previous experience. Yeah. Which, uh, and like, I, I literally went back to the same grey room every time. And again, it's funny because I look back at it now and I said, maybe the room was, was less grey, but it wasn't because it was a few times I went back there. And then the second therapist um, knew all of that. And uh, at the end of the hour, she basically turned to me and she said, um, that sounds pretty, pretty serious. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm capable of helping you. Okay. And I felt this momentary sugar rush to say, great, I am as messed up as I thought I was. <laughs> yeah. And then this severe down of, oh my God, I'm, you know, it's more rejection. Like, right. and that's like a lot of this thing is about rejection. So it's, it's, I was rejected by a therapist. I go, oh my God. Now, that again wasn't her, her intent waking up that morning. Yeah. Was yeah. not to find somebody that she could reject. But she obviously felt that the, the issues that I was facing were, um, were beyond her ability to help. Right. And then, um, <laughs> and then, uh, probably a year later, I met this most amazing, incredible person uh, who I am seeing still, you know, three or four years later and mm. will always see. Yeah. Um, and she has been a lifeline, you know, an angel, um, incredibly, um, capable and experienced and qualified and also um you know open to trying different things mm. and i i feel so hugely grateful that i found her mm-hmm. um i'm also grateful though that it took a couple of goes yeah. because when i am asked by people you know about whether medication is the best response or whether therapy or or meditation or mindfulness or sport or music or creativity my answer is is very much always says 
I always would say, first of all, we're all unique and human and individual. So what will work for one person won't necessarily work for somebody else. That's mm. number one. And again, that's a difficult truth at times, but it is it is true. There is no formula that's that's applicable to everybody. The second thing is that where we are at our time in our life um, will make a big impact on, you know, what's the right route for us to take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that for for me, um, with with my therapist that I have, it was the right thing at the right time and will also be part of my journey as I go forward because as as far as we have progressed, and we have, we've made some really great progress over the last few years that has been helped me. That's ultimately, to boil it down, Rob, I've got a much stronger resilience today than I've ever had. Mm. And when I do fall and when I do... Um, you know, when 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 depression hits me, um, I have a much quicker uh, bounce back from mm-hmm. it than yeah. I used to have. And for me, and again, I can only speak for me. I don't believe that you know mental well being for me is is going to be ever around you know spending the rest of my life where I won't have to battle depression mm-hmm. rather it's going to be where those instances happen less frequently mm-hmm. and when they happen I get out of them faster and quicker yeah. and that kind of that resilience and bounce back ability are gifts that I've got from therapy that I, I, I don't so like you know, sports has been a huge benefit to me. And yeah. I, I keep fit. I know you do. Yeah. And it's a huge, huge, huge benefit for my mental health. Yeah. That on its own, though, isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch what I eat. Um, you know, I know you were talking before we, we start the podcast about being alcohol free uh, for 2018. Yeah. Uh, I am as well. And it's it's something that it's um, um, partly to do with the fact that I'm uh, rowing pretty seriously this year yeah. but it's also you know I have a lot going on and it kind of suits where my energy is right now mm-hmm. to really be mindful and to be gentle with myself to be caring for myself so all of those things are really helpful you know meditation I try and meditate once a day um, I watch what I'm eating alcohol free I'm doing exercise sleep is another critical thing <laughs> for me but on top of all of those um, therapy is is really important it's kind of like the glue if you like okay and that's just me you know i'm not saying that that's what will work for other people Mm -hmm. um and i also don't think necessarily that what i'm doing today is the solution for the rest of my life it's you know you're kind of constantly looking for what what that's going to be yeah it's interesting you touched on an awful lot of things that i touch on during this podcast around practices that uh, people would adopt to kind of be successful or keep on the on the straight and narrow in lots of ways you med- mentioned meditation and mindfulness i know that's how we reconnected yeah. uh, on, on twitter over an article is there any specific uh type you do or you mentioned once a day i do once a day and it's funny even before this interview today out in galway last night early to bed sleep is very important when I was putting together the questions, sometimes I would get quite anxious before yeah. even doing an interview. 
and I spent 15 minutes just meditating and the flow actually came to me of how to actually conduct the interview. For me, that's the big change I've had over the last three years where I do meditation every day. I used to get quite anxious before work, you know, might have 15 meetings in a, in a day's work and half hour sections. You wake up and just you'd feel thrown off and started practice over the last two or three years. And it has had a massive turnaround for me. Like you talked about resilience or bounce back. My time of being anxious gets much smaller or an incident at work or whatever would throw me for much shorter periods of time before I get back to normal. So meditation is the one I talk about a lot. Is there any specific types you do or have you developed or tried around with different approaches for that? Yeah, it's kind of a funny one because again, sort of in a lot of my life, I'm fairly disciplined. So maybe maybe to kind of answer in a sort of a an indirect way, if there's somebody listening right now who's hungover or who's absolutely jaded, tired, who hasn't been able to sleep because their kids have been up or or they've been eating crap all day yesterday and they're feeling the fit, whatever, that's okay too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, part of part of for me what works with meditation is it's not strict. So I, and again, this is just for me, mm-hmm. but I've I've deliberately said I am not setting out to do it once a day or I feel bad if I don't do it. And funnily enough, what actually happens, I, the, the, the current one I'm using, um, the current app is, um, it's called Insight Timer, I think. Yeah. And it's um, heard of it just too. like hundreds of different ones. And the only thing it does really is it, it just kind of gathers all of these different ones and it gives you, you, know, you can pick whatever you want to do for five to 10 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes, or whatever. And it just gives you the, the heading. And I like that because depending on how I'm feeling, like if I'm doing it lasting before I go to bed at night, um, you know, it might be around, you know, calming down or, you know, relaxing or whatever. First thing in the morning, it might be, you know, morning meditation or get set for the day or whatever. Or as you said, like if it's just before you go into something quite stressful, it might be just kind of a breathing or whatever it is. And because it's not a strict structure for me, I actually find myself doing it a lot more <laughs> than mm. if I had to do it every day. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, oh, I get to do it rather than I have to do it. Jerry Duffy, who's a great friend of mine, um, introduced me to that that thinking of, you know, I don't have to go for a run. I get to go for a run. I don't have to mm. train. I get to train. I don't have to go for meditation. I get to. So I think mm. of, of everything that I would maybe, if, if, if when people ask me about meditation, mindfulness and whatever, the, the one big thing I say is try to see it as something you get to do mm. rather than you have to do and do it whenever. And, you know, yes, for me, it kind of suits me better to do it first thing in the morning. I just do a thing where I set my alarm for, like, say, you know, I'm, I'm up at there early at the moment because of fitting into Australia time. So, yeah. you know, the alarm goes for kind of five o'clock in the morning and then it goes for 20 past five. And between five and 20 past five, I just do it as I'm kind of waking up and then I'm out of bed at 20 past five and um it just works for me now for other people there's a different you know there's a friend of mine is is a nurse on shift duty so you know it's a totally different kind of routine that she will have Mm -hmm. um but i would say um do it as as lightly as you can you know don't feel yourself under too much pressure and again like i'll do it for five minutes you know and it has an impact you know even for five minutes has an impact it does help um and i I, I did uh, do Headspace for a year and I found that great. Mm. Um, I like, however, the kind of the freedom of, 
inside timer because you know there's no you, you're literally doing one you're not in a program there's no program yeah, exactly yeah, and yeah. for me that helps yeah yeah and that's a really good distinction of you get to do it rather than have to do it because I would find myself saying right I, I get up every morning and I do 20 minutes there's an element of having to do rather than it's a, a pleasure to do it yeah. you know and that, that that little change makes yeah. makes a, a massive massive difference you mentioned food I interviewed uh, on the podcast I haven't released this episode yet by the time I release this one it'll probably be out a uh, professor in UCC Ted Dynan and uh, he's a psychotherapist as well and he's developed he's a lecturer psychotherapist researcher developed this um released a book called psychobiotics and it's I'm fascinated by the gut and intuition yeah. and there's a lot of brain cells down here to call it your second brain yeah. and he said how important what you eat and what you treat your gut in affects your mood is there certain things that you would stay through trial and error you found that you stay absolutely away from that can have an impact on your mental state well it's interesting again like that whole so this this thinking right so somebody listening to this podcast today i think it's very um it's a very fair response to say that's seriously you're telling me there's brain cells in your gut like mm-hmm. that's crazy yeah. and it, it's totally fine to not be acceptant of that like 100 percent fine and a kind of an alternative view which is the view i have is i don't know whether that's right or wrong but i like the thought of it i like mm-hmm. the idea that i can actually help myself if I think that maybe there's a way where my gut, which I do feel kind of drives a lot of my decisions, is kind of able to have a certain degree of feeling or thought or whatever, right? Again, without going into it too much. And if I can keep that healthy, mm. that's going to help me think clearer, act clearer, you know. So so I love that thinking. And I am, again, what I'm going to say next will sound completely ridiculous. Um but I, I've got great energy at the moment and people who would know me right now uh, can pick up on that. You know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, clean in my thinking. I'm, um, I'm sharp in my thinking, but also I'm sort of, there's a good, I guess, energy coming from me. And <laughs> where, where I notice that most is um, kids. Uh, and when I, when I mean kids, maybe I'm talking about like, literally toddlers you know seven eight nine year olds early teenagers late teenagers they really pick up on that Mm. and when you're in a good place they pick up on that and you know i think um there's a there's a lovely um connection you can get with younger people when you know you you have that good energy coming from you so going back to the question you know what kind of foods would i what i tend to um avoid or 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 gravitate towards what i what i find works best for me is a very simple rule that the closer it is to to the ground the better in other words the less processed it is Mm -hmm. the better and as well as that i'll deliberately do things now and then that aren't close to the ground so for example i had a cup of tea just before the start this interview and i put two sugars in it i don't always have sugar in my tea but you know what? Sometimes it's totally fine. <laughs> it's the cheat days allowed now. Yeah, yeah, and like even kind of, uh, you know, being being totally okay about that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, not uh, like yesterday was was was. You know, we're, we're we're meeting today. It's the eighteenth of March. Yesterday was Paddy's day. 
and um, you know neither of us as it happens were drinking but I had four <laughs> coffees yesterday you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's okay too it's totally fine four coffees um, at a an alcohol free beer going to bed and as you're saying there's loads of sugar and stuff yeah, in yeah, that yeah. and that's all fine it's not about being I think so completely pure and the reason I said that is is is, is two things first of all I think it's important that and again this is just four books for me but mm-hmm. first of all I think it's important that we don't get too prudish about this. I think it's important that we 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 don't make this too hard on ourselves. That's number one. Mm. But the second thing is that if we go completely clean all the time, I think there's actually diminishing returns from it. I think you have to have a little bit of dirty food, you know, within the system so that you appreciate being clean even more. Because the body and the mind get used to whatever you give them. So mm. like you know, there's people who um, can manage on very little sleep. There's people who can manage with, with bad food or drinking excessively or whatever it might be. And they'll do better than if you're not used to that. So definitely you can get used to things. I think for me, it's about I want I want to be generally cleaner, generally more healthy, generally eating more healthy stuff. And also not so completely kind of disciplined about it that I that I lose some of the benefit. And even from a sports perspective, and even losing weight perspective, you know, there's there's some good solid um, modern thinking whereby um, having days off actually helps you get fitter, helps you sure. lose weight, etc. Yeah, no, cool, good insight. I'll just take it back to a question around your business and when you were starting Pulse Learning, I, I read it and heard that you started with 10 euros and, yeah. you know, from there to where where it became. To do that, to be an entrepreneur, I would imagine you were highly productive, highly busy all day, every day to build all of that up. And it was always being a constant doing. And was there a point at, at which you became much more comfortable with doing almost doing nothing and you know that kind of divide of doing versus being as you build it up over time does anything come up when i ask that yeah i think the um if if i I wouldn't swap um where i'm today you know i'm 47 years old be 48 in may i wouldn't swap where i am mentally today with where i was at 29 when i set up pulse learning um because like it is, it is almost twenty years ago. It's incredible. Oh. Um, but I wouldn't swap. Definitely, like not in a. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to go back uh, at all. Um, and part of that was, I when I set up Pulse Learning, it was all about you know um, uh, this you know working at a higher rate than anybody else. Um, you know, sleeping less, traveling more, working more, putting in more hours, getting more done. Um, and that is wearing for everybody, not just you, but it's wearing for everybody around you. Sure. And it's not the smartest way at all. Um, Be Cloud Smart, which is my most recent um venture, um, is a very different approach. You know, it's one where it's really around um. Like I, I would say, Rob, I spend probably eighty um, percent of my time coaching other people, right, and twenty percent of my time doing. Okay. And um, when I set up Pulse Learning, I was 
doing 100% of the time, okay. you know, just doing, doing, directing. Um, and what if you burn people out and they move on and, and you have to pick up the pieces and you burn the next person out and you keep on going that cycle. Yeah. And that's fine. You you can be successful in that, but there's a, there's a limit to the success. Mm. And no matter how successful you are, I, I believe that you can be more successful by, um, and whatever you, 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 you define success as being, um, but you, you can become more successful by, you know, taking a different approach. And I think within all of that, there are certain key values of integrity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really genuinely taking the hit when others would find it easier to lie or to omit telling the full truth or whatever, you know, taking the hit, be known as the person that people can absolutely trust. Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a million, a million miles away from being an angel or being, um, you know, I've, I've made so many mistakes and even in the last number of months, I've made some fairly big mistakes, mm. um, not just business mistakes, but life mistakes. Right. Um, and the, uh, you know, the, I think the, the way, I, the way I've found at the moment is some, something that I wouldn't swap where I was. And I hope to God I'm still, improving so that I'm not making the stupid mistakes I'm making today five years from now mm-hmm. and it's certainly not about feeling that I've got it kicked or I've got it licked or I've got it figured out I don't I really don't mm-hmm. like I I um, I, I and, and when you make big mistakes now when I make big mistakes now they hurt probably even more than they would have done previously right um and then you got to learn from them, and you got to mm. pick yourself up, and you got to figure out what's the lesson. You got to take your medicine. You got to, you know, take the um, take the punishment. You've got to um, figure out how you um, do better next time around. Mm. And you know, you you also got to look at yourself and others and say, you know, that's being human. You know, there's mm. there's nothing about this that is other than being human. Yeah. And, you know, being human means you can make mistakes. Try not to make the same mistake twice and make sure you learn from it. Mm. And, you know, try and make sure that you're you're doing better next time around. And like that's that's so like, you know, that's so hard. Like that's so difficult to um to to um like ultimately it's so difficult to really uh, love yourself enough to allow yourself that. Mm. And again, that's part of the part of the journey. If you had made mistakes twenty years ago, would you have internalized those and given yourself that hard time compared to now, where you might make a mistake and share it with your therapist or or, or be more open about it? Did that I think, change? I think twenty years ago, when I made mistakes, I could point the blame to other people. You know, whereas right. my view now is, uh, if something goes wrong, the first thing I'll ask is. What could I do? I've done better, and it doesn't mean that I take full responsibility. That's not the point. Yeah. Like, I'm dealing with one situation at the moment where, um, you know, by an objective view, um, which is very hard to have, but but I've put a lot of thought and I've got a lot of support and advice on this. By any objective view, um, you know, I'm dealing with something that, uh, is 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 um. Uh, 
going to be a, a big, big challenge to get righted. And within that, it's about saying, well, what are all the things I can do better? You know, and that's not to say that it's it's all my fault or that's not the point. The point right. is like within this, what can I take responsibility for doing better next time around? What, what can I do in a way that's more loving, more caring? And even, you know, I heard, heard something recently, um, you know, there's times where less so from, and I'm very grateful, less so for me and said business or whatever it was, but in a personal context, all of us have situations where, you know, people sometimes, you know, again, everybody's human, right? So people will sometimes do things that hurt you. And um, this idea of, you know, again, part of meditation, you know, really, really forgiving them, you know, really deeply mm-hmm. sending them love and, and wishing them the very best. Love and kindness type stuff. Yeah. 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 And I know it sounds really, you know, crazy, mm. but you do that for, you know, X number of days in a row. And what what it does is it just frees your mind up to think differently about trying to fix the issue. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I'm doing, you know, because of the complexity of it, uh, whether it be within, you know, the world of mental health or world of business or personal, it can be quite complex. And, yeah. you know, I use every advantage I can to try and, you know, think things through as, as best you can. I know that's that's probably a bit of a ramble. No. Um, it's, it's just sort of kind of thinking about, you know, if you go back 20 years, it was very much I was right and everybody else was wrong. Mm. And you can survive on that like. Trump survives in that, you know, Donald Trump is there, you know, where he's got a very simplistic view of the world and, and somehow it works. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, imagine if, you know, you can get yourself beyond that and thinking, thinking more around. It's not about me being right and everybody being wrong. It's about, you know, what what can you do that you can bring more to the party next time you can you can be a better person you can be a better version of yourself next time around like there's no way i could have set up a cycle against suicide Mm. in 2002 you know i was able to set up in 2012 if i was setting it up tomorrow i'm not sure if it would be any better because i do think that there's a whole load of magic occurred so when i set up cycle against suicide it was i'll give it four years and um so by the end of 2016 I was out. Okay. And, um, you know, if I was doing it again, would I, would I be able to do a better four years? Possibly. I'd hope so. But again, like the magic was, it happened when it happened, you know, and Mm. you can't go back. And today's cycle against suicide is doing really well without my involvement. And that's something, you know, I'm, I'm proud of. Brilliant. Yeah. I was just going to touch on that. Uh, It's interesting. I interviewed, um, a guy called Josh Quigley from Scotland, and uh, he he tried to commit suicide um, a few years ago, and he survived. And then he set up this Tartan Explorer, and he became this guy that he got a good persona, good a um, lot of attention out of it for mental health, and tried to cycle around the world, um, fifty thousand miles. He got to ten thousand, he stopped. But his journey has been very interesting. He's talking a lot about mental health now, and it's interesting. He took the bike as a vehicle to to kind of raise awareness why was the bike important and i know i heard a story that you had about cycling from from curry to to ackle yeah which sounds like crazy on the best of days but uh, i was wondering why you did you did you plan that cycle did you bring stuff with you to know you were going to go for a few days or did it just happen yeah so um so the bike for cycling and suicide was was um very deliberate in that 
on on a bike where you've got two abreast a conversation takes place where you know you're not looking at somebody in their face you know and, and there's a different conversation can happen shoulder to shoulder yeah. versus you know head on and the idea there was you know if we could get hundreds of people on bikes together where that conversation can go and one of my favorite parts about cycling and suicide was you know where we'd be on you know a road between wherever it might be you know um moville and carndon or whatever and uh or skull and lep or wherever it might be and i'd be on the side of the road and i'd uh, pull in and i'd give everybody you know a clap as they were passing and there'd be quite a lot of you know hey uh, high fives and gym whatever but there'd also be just conversations just mm. conversations happening and almost like this whir of chains and conversation happening mm. so the reason for the bike within cycling and suicide was very much very much that idea of um an enabler for current conversation right. um i i cycled from uh kerry to ackle one christmas um it was actually in the middle of storms it was um when i got to ackle it took me two days or three days to get there when i got to ackle all of the power was out in ackle island and because of the storms and for me that was really just about um uh i guess uh i guess yeah having to in fact that was that was the that was the christmas i think of 2013 2014 and um so it was december 2013 and it was really just about survival you know i don't mean survival in terms of i've never thought about taking my life mm. um you know i've been very fortunate that for me my battle with my mental health has been you know a battle of depression anxiety etc hasn't been a battle of suicidal ideation yeah or suicidal thought um but it was really a, 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 for me it was about survival you know it was about trying to somehow survive those few days where i was in an awful place and you know lying in a ball in my bed or on the couch or on the floor was just so utterly painful you know so torturously difficult it was it was um it really was frighteningly um despairingly um manic and um it was it, it it really was something i felt that staying still um was not a was not a safe or a good place for me to be right and you know to your question specifically that i pack stuff i i, I just got on my bike i just i i remember so i'm i'm a clean freak you know if i'll have a chance to shower three times a day i will right i remember that that morning you know i i I, it, you know, it was December and it was, you know, dark until half eight or whatever, quarter to nine. I remember not sleeping all night and planning it so that I would get out of bed after not sleeping and get on my bike gear, you know, get into shower, get on my bike gear because I hadn't showered for a day or two, just, you know, I hadn't been able to sort of get out of, get out of bed and just get a, get a shower, get on my bike gear, um, 
layers and layers of of the warmest gear I could put on. Um, get my pump, um, get on my bike and go. And I didn't know I was going to ackle, um, but I did know I wasn't going. To, I wasn't going home that night. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I got up to Galway the first night, and I think the second night I, I got as far as Castlebar, and then the third morning I got into ackle. And yeah, it was when I got across the Ackle Sound and um I got into um I was going to Dewa in uh, in Ackle and the uh this lady came out of her <coughs> came out of her house and she said, You big Egypt, are you after coming from the sound? And I said, I am. I didn't want to tell her it's further, yeah. From, from further. And she said, What kind of an Egypt are you? I remember as I, I remember telling that story on um Brendan O'Connor mm. uh, Saturday Night Show and I was up in Ackle a few weeks later and uh, any time I go back to Ackle now they all ask me how did I get there did I walk <laughs> did I run did I cycle Yeah. Uh, but it was the right thing for me to do that time and I know it doesn't I'm not I'm not advocating that that's what other people should do mm. but that was the right thing for me to do for those few days because staying at home um, and you know trying to just kind of be still with it, it it wasn't the answer you know and I know um I, and again, I don't, I'm not saying that this is the answer for anybody else. And I'm not saying that everything I've done in my life, I've always made the right decision. But that decision at that time was the right decision because that wasn't a time to sit with it. That was a time to make it work. It being, you know, every part of my body was cold and, and tired. And I, I hadn't eaten for a couple of days. And I knew that getting on a bike, I was forcing myself that I, I needed to eat. I needed to drink water. Um, because you know you'd you'd fall over, mm. so it was really a way of just getting your 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 body actually moving, moving again. Yeah. And um, you know, I got to Ackle, and and it did um, it did feel better, and I cycled home a couple of days later, and you know, by the time I was back in Kerry, it was um, it was better. You know, it, it right. had passed at, okay. at least. You know, and, and but when something like that happens, Rob. You know, you're not, it's like a flu, you know, you're not, you're not better immediately. Sorry, when, when, when the flu symptoms go, you're not immediately back to full energy and full, you know, Mm. that's not how it works. It takes a while to kind of get your sleep pattern right again. However, there's a point in that journey where you know it's passing. Right. And it's, I don't know, I've never thought about this analogy before, but. Did you ever have one of those abscesses in your gums or in your... I used to get... I remember with rowing, you can see my fingers yeah, yeah, right yeah. now, I've got blisters from rowing. Mm-hmm. But I remember younger, I had this huge kind of infection on my on my finger and it was so sore as it was growing. I mean, absolutely so sore. And it, I should have brought it to the casualty and got it pierced or whatever. Right. And then there was this incredible relief when mm. it burst. Right? Okay. And um, this is a lovely topic for a podcast, but anyway. <laughs> Visual anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that idea of its burst. Now, all of that stuff has still got to be cleaned out and you've got to heal. But it's a release though, is it? But it's that moment where you know it's past. And it is It is like that, mm. you know. And I, um, I was in Australia, I said, a, a few weeks ago, and a girl... Um, was in contact with me and she she got into trouble and she she's actually lost both of her sisters to suicide two years ago and she lost both of them within a six-month period. So oh. this is very, very, very terrible 
set of circumstances and she wasn't in a great place and um you know i remember talking with her about you know you just you you gotta stay with it now right now there's no easy route there's no niceness there's no panacea there's no there's nothing you can do right now that's going to make it all better at this moment however mm. it will pass and when it passes you'll know it's past mm. and you'll feel that sense of relief and then the healing starts mm. almost then the healing starts it's almost like i've switched i've turned the corner now again it sometimes after it's passed and after the healing starts you can get re you know the flu can come back right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so so it can last sometimes multiple times even then it will pass yeah and that's the that's the only thing i'm absolutely sure of like mm. the one thing you know when people when, when someone will come to me and say look i want to take my life there's, there's no way out my approach is never to argue with that person about that you know my approach is not to say you know you can't take your life that's that's not, that's not my that's not my uh, decision to make sure what i will say is the feeling that you have right now will pass mm. and however terrible you feel and that that then becomes the discussion and and the person might say no way i felt this way before i said if you have it's passed before yeah yeah, you know? yeah you're here and so it's passed before exactly yeah, yeah. and it's sometimes trying to elongate that period and I've had this conversation with, with, and I guess maybe one of the advantages I have is I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a mental health expert, so I can talk from kind of my own real authentic uh, experiences. And there's, there's a young girl I met in the psychiatric ward in Cork University Hospital a number of years ago, and it was the first time I'd ever seen um, a young girl with her arms literally in ribbons, like literally, you know, that phrase in ribbons. Right. Um, and uh, that was the worst she ever was. And since then, and I get a letter, I get a letter from her at the start of every year. So I came back from Australia in mid-February. I'd been away since mid-December. Yeah. And her letter was waiting for me. And it was a beautifully, beautifully, beautifully written letter around how um, that whole journey, you know, and the point where that was the low point definitely for her that every year has been progressively better but it doesn't mean that there aren't dips it doesn't mean sure. that there aren't parts and when those dips occur she can she can very much cling on to this will pass mm. and knowing that it will pass in the middle of the storm is is it is like it's it, it's such this wonderful gift you can give yourself and again if somebody's listening today in trouble you know that would be the the the, the thing to leave with is your whatever way we think and i know those thoughts whatever way we think at our worst our mind will tell us that this is the way it always will be where actually it isn't it does mm. change mm. just like you know it's impossible to be happy all the time if i say look rob be happy for the next hour mm. maybe you could do it but if mm. i say be happy for the next two weeks you know yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's really hard to be happy or if I say, look, be sad for the next two weeks, it's really hard to be purely sad. Mm. You know, that's not the way our mind works. Yeah. And uh, again, that's powerful. And I think where, where I connect to that story, it's it's the meditation. It's it's kind of taking that meta thinking. You're you're taking that step away. You're, you're thinking about thinking or you're seeing that and you realize that's just something that you're thinking about now. It's not you. It's part of you and, and all, all of that goes along with it. So I think that's, 
for me very powerful in that respect as well yeah i've heard it described maybe as this idea that um just to to, to be in a position where you can observe mm-hmm. you know and you're not just necessarily observing yourself you're observing a situation you know and i i definitely was not able to do that for the majority of my life you know when something happened i immediately you know reacted connected with it, with it yeah. you know and and now something happens and i'm much better positioned to be able to observe and take a, a moment to figure out you know like i was watching the rugby yesterday and i i'm i'm absolutely astounded at you know stockdale and sexton and all these amazingly skillful players who can manage to think so quickly mm-hmm. about um, things that are happening so fast. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's because they've worked on them over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you remember Stockdale's tried just before halftime yesterday. Yeah. Like how how he got that, mm. how he didn't fall, how he didn't stumble, mm. how he managed to touch it down with pressure it's just before the line. Yeah. line you know, and yet, you know, that's that's what he does. And I think if you look at that in the context of, you know, mental health, mental, emotional well-being, you know, it's just sometimes we have to really operate at that level of skill to be able to manage things. But we can, you know, it's, it's yeah. a question of practicing. Practice and discipline is mm. absolutely it. Jim, I've taken up a lot of your time this morning. Uh, time flies when, when we're talking about some really interesting stuff. So, so thanks so much for that. I'll leave with maybe just two quick ones. When you think of uh, advice or advice that you've been given or, or advice you like to give, is there anything that typically comes to mind around the area of advice? Um, I, I think the two things, I guess, come to mind. Number one is, um, I'm very conscious of taking advice from people who have been on the journey, um, as opposed to people who haven't been on the journey. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just, I, I factor that in. So if, if somebody's given me advice and they have, they face similar issues, um, you know, or they, they have an empathy because they've got a particular understanding because of where they're coming from. I tend to uh, put more mass, put more, you know, weighting on that advice. That, mm-hmm. that, that I guess is one thing. And the second thing is, um, there's a dear friend of mine, Brennan O'Connell, who actually tragically died on cycling and suicide. You know, the, 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 um, he was one of our, motorcycle marshals and he died keeping okay. us safe it was a tragic event um but Brennan used to say it in 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 very simple terms that for every piece of advice there's a there's an opposite piece of advice and he used to quote you know a stitch in time saves nine but don't mend it unless it's broken or yeah, many yeah. hands make light work but too many cooks spoil the broth yeah and i think one thing about advice is try and find counter truths and try to hold those counter truths as you're deciding what makes sense for you. So whatever situation you're in life, there's more than one truth in terms of, you know, dealing with it and try and hold the counter truths. And it, so, for example, you know, if, if you're in, um, uh, you know, if there's a problem within your relationship with somebody, um, you know, it, it may be true to say that that person has done X, Y and Z wrong. And as a result, you know, they, they they really are at fault. And that might be completely true. 
And it might also be completely true that, you know, um, the reason that they've done it is coming from situation X, Y, Z that you might have been part of. Mm-hmm. And that might be equally true. And that's not to that's not to let go of the first one. It's to hold them both and say as a result of kind of thinking about them both. So I think in terms of advice, I would say, you know, try to try to get contrarian advice. Try to get advice that is not the advice of the majority. Um, again, for me, um, some of the best advice I've got is from younger people, you know, teenagers and who, um, like when I'm interviewing somebody for a job, one of the things I'll ask is, you know, what's the last thing you learned? And what can you, and what can you teach me right now? Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I'm introducing like a senior VP, um, you know, from a from a very large company, they'll struggle to tell me the last thing they learned because they're looking for something really kind of deep. Mm. And if, if I ask them what can they teach me right now, they'll struggle because they're trying to find something, you know, powerful or big or whatever. You you said it to a sixteen year old. You know, in about 30 seconds, they'll say, what did I learn? Well, I learned this on social media. I learned this about this singer. I learned mm. uh, this is some, something I like to eat. This is something I like to do. You know, there's things I'm learning all the time. Mm-hmm. And what do they teach you? And you can get great lessons, you know, taught to you from young people. So I think, you know, with with advice, try and get the contrarian view. Try and get the, the view that doesn't follow the majority because the, there may be something in that worth uh worth heeding okay very good last one success is a question i like to wrap up with you asked me before the podcast how how successful it is and it was like my definition of success is sitting down talking to you and meeting really interesting people and getting great stories that i can put out there so so for me i'm living it at the moment what is success for you right now and are you in a successful place um I think that um, probably from a selfish perspective perspective or a self-full perspective, um, success is around um, being on this journey I'm on right now, which is a journey of kind of um, there's there's revelation there's there's things I'm learning about myself, about the world, about people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing I feel most purposeful doing is certainly like I, I, I've got I've got five um, senior women that I coach right now. Some of them are in business, some of them are in, in, in charity, not, not for profit. And I love coaching them, and I do it very much on on my terms, which which is which is important in that I don't charge. And it's it's done in a way where it's very natural and organic and simple. And I learn as much from the people in coaching as, as they might learn from me. Or I learn more from yeah. the people in coaching than, than, than they might pick up from me. Um, and I feel very purposeful about helping others in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also think that success is, you know, whatever skills I have, if I can apply them, whether it be within the wheel, the charity that I that I work with, or whether it be in, in other areas where, you know, you can multiply other people's efforts, that good is done. That that's great, you know. And I think 
thankfully, you know, success was never something that was around making money or, um, or, or, you know, you see how I'm dressed today. It's not about, you know, material stuff. It just mm. isn't for me. And I'm yeah. not saying that that's a bad thing or a good thing. Just it hasn't been for me. What it is about is, is this sense of, um, being purposeful about what you're doing. And thankfully right now, and I'm really grateful that I'm in a position where I am able to work on the I am here campaign in Australia that we'll be bringing over here to um to Europe cool. the the spark change campaign with um with the wheel I I love the coaching I'm doing with the the five women that I, I get such an amount of, of value out of and I also really enjoy um working with schools particularly going talking around mental health again this huge huge um benefit comes back to that with me yeah and then finally i guess be cloud smart and pulse learning from a, an entrepreneurial perspective I, I love what we're what we're achieving there in terms of you know people being able to apply their talents and stretch themselves in a way they haven't been stretched before so like i'm, I'm really grateful that i'm able to take part in all of those things which is predominantly around working with other people and then Beside all of that, I'm back rowing, which I, you know, kind of did as a, as you know, mm. in my in my teens and when I was going to university, and I'm loving being back rowing, which is really, you know, more about me if you like, mm. and uh, I'm loving what I'm getting out of it. I did a did a time trial here in in Galway yesterday. Okay, didn't do well, right? Um, but it's great to be, you know, back in the game. The competition, and, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, you know, got got hammered actually yesterday, got beaten badly. <laughs> and it's totally fine. Like it's, mm. you know, it's all around saying, well, you know, can I, can I get a couple of seconds faster mm. the next time around? You know, and there's something, there's something nice about that too, you know? Yeah. There's lots of meaningful work going on there by the sounds of things. Yeah. You're in a good place? Great place. I, 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 I honestly think that I've never been as healthy as I am this moment. Brilliant. Great way to end it, Jim. That was fascinating. I, I'm really uh, delighted we had the chance to talk and I can't wait to, to share it. Thank you. Thanks very much. How was that? Did you enjoy it? I hope so. If you did, please like, share and do all that other good stuff that only takes a second on social media but means an awful lot to me as it spreads the reach. You can get the details from the show in the show notes on the website robofthegreen.ie. In there you can share the show out with others i really just want to touch on three other quick things one feedback i learned so much from it without it i can't improve please give me a bit of feedback positive negative constructive would you recommend a book do you have any other ideas for guests how about more video let me know what you want and i can make it happen i will try that's number one number two sharing is caring this year i'm making more of an effort to try and expand the reach facebook there's a page and there's a group the one percent better community on facebook is where i really hope new listeners go to share ideas comments in general things that they could help others with that's what it's there for follow me on spreaker.com that's the new host i'm on twitter growing not exponentially at all but slowly so please follow there i'm on instagram all of these are at rob of the green linkedin rob o'donoghue get in touch would love to hear from you number three is about support so i'm offering a few hours a month pro bono free coaching to those that can't afford it 
that need some coaching that want some coaching if you go to the website the support page click on the pro bono link on the flip side of that where you guys can support me go to patreon.com the rob of the green page you can make a donation there you can get access to exclusive content which i'm adding all the time that would be awesome anything you contribute will go back into the show to make it better make it more than one percent better also there's the option to buy one of those books that were recommended through the website which will bring you to amazon which will get you the normal links which will get you the books at the normal price but supposedly amazon will give the show a small donation every time a book is purchased or anything for that matter which is great so finally i just wanted to say thanks so much for listening i know it's difficult to make improvements to push things forward to get outside your comfort zone i'm trying to do it all the time i hope that every listen and every show and every guest that is on gives you something to take away that you could apply adopt and adapt into your own life to create a new habit to make something better don't overreach small improvements one percent is enough and thank yourself for making the time to listen to the show it shows you're interested in learning improving and getting better even if it's just one percent at a time have a great day and good luck